0: Um, where it was uh, day set aside to help bring focus and awareness to adoption and to to celebrate the the good that that happens and comes through adoption and uh, it 's a it 's a beautiful thing lives are changed um, through uh, through bringing uh, kids into uh, into families where and previously maybe they didn 't have a family or weren 't um, uh, weren 't welcomed or, or or even wanted um, but uh, sometimes the the transition for the kids who are brought into adopted families is very difficult. sometimes it's tough to transition from your previous experience to now finding out what is it like to live life in this new family, these new sets of norms and, and experiences in um, and, in and our our church, uh, you know I could have give a, a general example, but I thought it 'd be helpful since we 've prayed for the Terryberries and for katia um, to hear a little bit about that from them. Um, I think it 'll help us understand some about our passage this morning um, and uh, I think this is Mike three if you can turn it on um, but there 's been uh, some great things that have happened and some encouraging things as Katya has been a part of uh, the Terry Berry's family, but there's also been some, some struggles for her and for, for them. And uh, so, uh, Dan or, or Carol, could you just share with us a little bit, uh, um, just briefly, what have been like, some of the, the, the struggles that, that Katya and, and you guys have experienced in seeing her transition to, under, to, to life in your, in your family?
1: Well, one of the first things—can you all hear me? Uh, I guess the the first thing is uh, um, uh, she—it was hard for her to accept gifts, Uh, and then because she had never been given anything prior to that, really, and so. uh, But then when she received it, she um, she hid it. She'd hide it under her pillow or she'd it away in the corner of her closet. She wouldn't... Uh, she held it very closely and she wasn't willing to really share it. Once she had it, it was hers. And it was, she was very possessive of it. And this is, you know, that would be just one thing. Um, why, why, would she, why would she do that? it was always stolen from her in the past. She never um, was... We, we gave her gifts to take back to the orphanage and when we go back to visit her, they'd always be gone. Hmm. And it was usually the the teachers or the staff that would take them for their own children or for their own personal use mm. so she never really owned anything she had no she possessed nothing of any value mm. that's why she she possessed uh, great pride and great uh, in her hair because they couldn't take that from her mm. so she put a lot of emphasis on her hair mm. and it would she'd have a total meltdown if her hair wasn't right mm. just that, that we just couldn't comprehend
0: and what, uh, what has it been like, uh, Carol, specifically just with your, your relationship with Kathy and that transition for, for her and your, to your family with the, some of the attachment things? Yeah, she um, had a very bad mother, and I trigger that female authority uh, memory in her, so she rejected me. Um, not initially, but once... Actually, just maybe a week or so after the adoption was final. She began to just push me away completely and um, ignore me, disobey me. Um, so that was very hard because it it makes sense on her level, but it was very difficult to deal with. And mm-hmm. um, It was her way of being in control and not being vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Like thinking through what what this means, and to to understand because of the experiences that Katya had growing up, um, her uh, the past uh, struggles, uh, abuse, um, difficulty, uh, lack of relationship. Now that she's entering into to a family, there's difficult. There's difficulty. She's having to struggle and learn through uh, what it looks like to now live life as an adopted member of the Terry Berry family. To understand that life as it was and her experiences in the past and the way that she lived in the world is different now that she's a part of this family. Um, Kati is now uh, at a, a camp in uh, Montana. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, trying to seek uh, some help for things that are going on. That's why she's not here. That's why we've been praying for the, for them. Um, uh, but uh, if if you think about that idea of adoption and the struggles that come for an adoptive child sometimes to transition to life into a new family, that concept is very similar to what it looks like for us now that we have been adopted into God's family. We are God's children. And because of what Jesus has done by our looking to Him in faith, we are brought into the family of God. We are no longer enemies, but we're His beloved sons and daughters. But we can struggle to transition into living life in this new family. There's new norms. There's there's new ways of of relating to uh, to our heavenly Father. New ways of of interacting with uh, our our siblings and the broader families that we have. It's the other one. Sorry. Some of the new experiences that we have in our family and that transition process of being a part of God's family are, are welcomed. Um, they're pleasant. They're a relief. They're safety. There's other things that we go through in a part of that this transition into life in God's family that can be difficult. We can experience painful and hurtful things, um, struggles to live life with Him and with other people. Um, Uh, And God is seeking to, as He's walking with us through this transition and through our time with Him, uh, God gives us His Word to shape and help lead us in understanding more about Him and what it's like to live in His family. Remember, we've been working our way through Genesis. Genesis has been revealing to us who this God is that we serve. This God who now says, I am your God. You are my people. Um, What does it look like to transition to life in this family, to be a part of God's family? Uh, Remember last week what we saw with Jacob. That as God is working through His plan of rescue and restoration, um, God has said that He is going to be working through Abraham's line. And we see that the, Abraham's grandson Jacob is the one that he is going to be working out His covenant promises through. And God appeared to Jacob and said, I am going to be with you. I am your God. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you. Jacob is a part of God's family. But what we're going to see this week is that Jacob struggles. He struggles greatly to understand what it looks like to transition to this new life as a part of God's family, as one of his beloved sons. And so hopefully as we look at at Jacob's life and his interaction with his God, we'll learn a lot about our own struggles and uh, for us to figure out what it looks like for us to live as sons and daughters of our God. So if you would, look... um, uh, in uh, chapter 29 of Genesis, if you want to follow along in one of those Bibles there in front of you, it's on page 23. We're going to look at all. Uh, well, we're going to look at most of uh, uh, of chapter 29, um, verses uh, one through uh, one through 30 this morning. Uh, so, beginning there in verse one of chapter 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Uh, And as he looked, he saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob uh, Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, "We are from Haran." He said to them, "Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor?" They said, "We know him." And he said to them, "Is it well with him?" They said, "It is well." And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, "Behold, it is still high day. It's still not time for the livestock. To, uh, is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together? Water the sheep and go. Pasture them." But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was uh, still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, uh, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, "'Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be?' Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, "'I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel.' Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, "Uh, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him... Uh, his daughter Rachel to be his wife Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant so Jacob went in to Rachel also and he loved Leah or Rachel he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another 7 years let's pray uh, father we thank you for your word uh, that in it we learn of you and your character and and you use your word to to change us as your people. Uh, we pray that you would do that this morning. Uh, God, my words, God, our hearts as we hear from you uh, through your scriptures. In Christ's name, amen. Um, Remember, as we've been working through Genesis, uh, we see that and have talked about this uh, passage, this book has been written by Moses and he's writing it to the the Israelites, either the Israelites who are in Egypt just getting ready to to leave or as they're um, they're in the plains of Moab about to uh, enter into the promised land as God is trying to reveal Uh, himself more fully to them. And so Moses is recounting and and setting up uh, this book to shape and guide and teach God's people. Um, And uh, there's times we've seen in the past where, like for instance, remember we saw several situations where, remember uh, Abraham tried to uh, pass off Sarah as his uh, as his sister with Pharaoh, and then he did the same thing with Abimelech. And then we also saw Isaac do the same thing with Rebekah, trying to do the, the same, a similar thing with Abimelech. And we've seen that in order to understand more about what Moses is trying to teach us in those situations, we compare the two accounts and see... The difference is, is it helps open up and see why would he put uh, uh, these uh, the similarities of these accounts in here, to, uh, and, and insight comes from comparing those two. Um, so I don't know if you remember back to when uh, um, Rebecca was first found as a wife for Isaac. That also happened in a similar scene as this Remember here, Jacob comes, he comes to a well, and it's at this well scene that he meets and he encounters Rachel for the first time. Remember, it was at a well scene that uh, Abraham's servant encountered uh, uh, Rebecca for the first time as he was sent by Abraham to go to this same land to find a wife for Isaac. Um, it, it's interesting if we look and compare these two accounts and looking at Abraham's servant's actions as he enters into finding a wife for Isaac, and Jacob's actions and the way that he carries out this process of finding a wife himself in this same land. Remember, that was part of Rebekah's scheme for uh, having Jacob leave. One, it was to save his life because he tricked Esau, and Esau was out the killing, but it was also because she didn't like the Hittite woman that that Esau had married, and so she was wanting to find a a suitable wife for, for Jacob. Um, but I don't know if you remember back in, uh, it was, this was in chapter 24. Um, notice uh, here, as we look at what Jacob does and how he responds, Jacob uh, comes in, there's, um, uh he, he sees this, uh, this well where these, uh, these normally people would get water for their, for their sheep. Um, uh, he's asking, he's trying to ask around to see if he can find out if anybody knows about Laban because he's trying to find his, his mother's family. It just so happens they do know Laban and lo and behold, here comes Rachel with the, the sheep. Jacob, he says, hey, you know, we saw in verse, um, uh, uh, verse 7, it's like Jacob wants to get a little bit of time alone with Rachel, and so he tries to get these other shepherds to hit the road. He says, "Behold, it's still high day. It's not time for the livestock. is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together? Water the sheep and go, pasture them. Like, come on, water your sheep, guys. Get out of here. I want to talk with her by myself. Um, this well is a little too crowded. Um, but they say this: we can't all uh, we can't do this until all the flocks are gathered. The, the, uh, uh, and then that's when the stones rolled away. So the idea was there's a stone over the well. It was a pretty large stone, so usually um, we don't know if it's due to their, their laziness as these, these shepherds or if it really was a big stone that they needed the help of other people to take it off so they could get their water. But either way, they were waiting, and Jacob's like, um, uh, they, they won't leave. So when Rachel uh, gets there, Jacob shows off how strong And sufficient as a a possible suitor he is by himself, taking it into his own hands, all on his own. Jacob goes up, he removes the stone from the well and then enables uh, all of Rachel's sheep to uh, to eat or to drink um, their, uh, their water. He, he reveals to her who he is. He's joyful, he's excited, and he goes back and he meets with Laban and tells him about uh, his identity as being related to him. And over and over again, um, Moses reminds us that uh, Laban is uh, his mother's brother, his mother's brother, his mother's brother, that, that, that Rachel and Jacob are, uh, are related Now, if you look back to the other account in chapter 24, it's interesting to see the differences in how Abraham's servant approaches this same task that he's been given. Um, If you follow along and see in a similar way, remember just before this with Jacob, God is told to Jacob, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to guard you and I'm going to protect you and I'm going to bring you back. So when Jacob had that knowledge. Here, the, in chapter 24, the servant of Abraham receives the same information, or similar information, that God's going to be with him. In verse 7 of chapter 24, Abraham tells the servant this, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring will I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there." So Abraham is telling his servant, look, as you go to find a wife for my, for my son, no, God is going to be with you. He's at work. Trust and rely on him as you go to do this. So he does that very thing. In verse 12, as soon as he gets there and he arrives at this well, the, the servant does this. He prays. In verse 12, he says, O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to your master's servant. As it goes on, he 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 asked the Lord to to give him wisdom and he asked the Lord to reveal to him, who is it that I should take back to be the wife for my master's servant? And remember, I don't know if you remember, but he's like, whoever offers to water my my camel, she would be the one. And and Rebecca does that. Well, immediately after that, in verse 26, when it happens, immediately. The servant bows his head and prays and worships and thanks God for his provision, for his insight, for his work there. As it goes on, um, uh, when, when the servant meets Laban, the speech that he gives and the interaction that he has from verse 34 and following as he's speaking with Laban. It's as if the servant can't stop talking about Yahweh, the covenant God of Abraham. He talks about how good he is, how faithful he was to his master, how faithful he's been to him to bring him to find Rebekah there at the well. And then he asked them to send her back. And as soon as they agree to send Rebecca back with the servant to marry Isaac again in verse uh, 51, the servant bows down and he worships and he gives thanksgiving to God. How different is that from Jacob's response? Jacob had the same information. God will be with you. Yet, God doesn't seem to factor at all in Jacob's approach to life. God isn't even mentioned. The lines of communication between Jacob and God seem to be non-existent, as if Jacob doesn't want to talk or communicate with him at all. Um, Jacob is living life independent of his heavenly Father. Lindsay as, and I, as we're raising our kids, one of the things that we're trying to do, and usually this is the way that it functions, is that when you're raising children, a mark of maturity is increased independence. You know, hopefully your kids aren't going to need you to dress them for the, the rest of their their lives. There will come a time when uh, my children no longer will I hear from the bathroom, "I'm done." I mean, hopefully when Beckett's 24, that's not going to be what happens when he comes home from school. The goal of parenting, a mark of maturity, is increasing independence in the life of your children as they learn more to function on their, on their own, apart from you, making their meals, dressing themselves Taking care of their own hygiene, getting a job, supporting themselves, living on their own. That's what we're moving for. It's not the same in God's family. If we think that a mark of maturity, because that's what we're used to experiencing in the world, is that a mark of maturity as we adjust and transition to life in God's family is growing independence apart from God, then we've got it completely wrong. The mark of maturity of walking with God in the midst of His family is actually growing dependence. We grow more and more dependent on Him. You you notice the, the servant showed great maturity. He exhibited a life of dependent communication between Him and His Heavenly Father throughout this whole process. He had undergone a lot of discipleship with Abraham, apparently, and he's resting and he's depending completely on on the God of Abraham throughout this whole encounter. Jacob, on the other hand, is functioning completely and totally, totally independent of of God. Not seeking God's way, not asking God what he should do, not asking, hey, will you help me find the the right wife? Is this the right one? Should it be Rachel? Do you have any counsel for me as I engage and interact and talk with Laban? No. Jacob, we see he's resting on his own strength and his own ability to lift the stone off of the the well all by himself. To go at this with his own thinking and his own wits, relying only on his own desires and his perception of the situation. Eagerly jumping in and saying, yeah, seven years, I'll do it. What does it look like for us if if God is with us, which is what the heart of the gospel is? Remember, that's what we've seen. The good news of the gospel is that we now have Jesus. He's with us. If God is with us, then what does dependent communication? Resting in him look like for you and for me. Do we walk and live our lives in such a way that, that prayer and seeking God's counsel comes as an afterthought? For me, that's a, that's a, a struggle. I, sometimes, because of uh, uh, my experiences in the past, um, it's, and I've talked with, with some of you about this before, uh, I understand this concept that God is with me, but because I'm physically not in front of Him and I don't see a person, I, I struggle to, to, to know His presence with me uh, and, and understand this whole idea of God's spiritual truth and presence and abiding with His people. And so I tend to more quickly when something comes up, I don't go directly to God in prayer. I'm going to call one of you. I'm going to call one of my friends. I'm gonna, uh, I want to I have counsel. From a real person, but is not God a real person? is he not there with us as his people? God has given us his word he's given us prayer as a means to communicate and seek him. He has also given us his his people as well, but as we live life in relationship with with our God, a mark of us growing in maturity is relying more and more on him being dependent upon him. Um, uh, what that means is, is that uh, well, even to, even to think about it, part of it us may, may begin to think, well, I mean, why pray? I mean, we've we've looked and seen God's sovereign. He's in control of of all things. He's all powerful. If, if uh, was was Rachel not the 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 right one for for Jacob here? If he still got the same girl, regardless of whether uh, he prayed to God or not, what does it matter? I mean, didn't God's promises still go go on? Um, maybe maybe God's reason that he calls and invites us to pray doesn't have to do always with the results. Maybe it's not all about the results, because sometimes maybe we approach God as just one that we go to for information. I want to know God's will. Help me figure out what to do in this scenario or this circumstance. Maybe we pray to him when things are getting tough, or or if uh, we want to understand him about a job or a move or uh, a, a transition maybe we don 't, but sometimes maybe we can approach him as just as a, a means to gathering information, and then once we get it we 're moving on but maybe maybe what God is is saying is in the process of of dependent communication is maybe it 's more about the relationship that 's being formed, about us being shaped and changed as, with god 's people as we interact in a relationship with him, and uh, the The result isn't all the time the focus. Now, I'm not going to seek to try to explain all the intricacies of how prayer works. God does use prayer. Scripture tells us that. When we don't pray, we miss out on things, James says. You don't have because you don't ask. Now, James isn't talking about flipping through the the wish book and getting all of the, the toys and gadgets that you want. He's talking about wisdom and God's presence with us um, and and guiding us. Uh, But notice what Jacob misses out on here because he's not seeking God. What did the servant, what happened over and over as it went through the servant's process of communicating independent communication with God through this whole process? The servant began to change. You know, the results in him over and over again, if you remember, It moved constantly to as he prayed and sought God and he he was expressing, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I don't know what I'm doing. It's out of my hands. Will you help me? He calls out to God. God works in the midst of the situation and he responds in thanksgiving and worship. That happens over and over and over again. Through this process of communication with his father, the relationship between the servant and the servant and the God of Abraham grows cro- closer. Their intimacy deepens and they're more and more connected. Jacob, through this whole process, God's not even mentioned. He's unaware and he's, he's actually forfeited the opportunity to see how God will provide. How God will, in a unique way, be present within this, this situation. Jacob doesn't have the opportunity here for his... His relationship to be deepened and strengthened. We think about prayer in that way. Sometimes it's tough because maybe growing up in church, you hear, oh, you need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to go to church. If you want to be a good Christian, you got to do these things. But do you ever think about what's happening when you're not praying? What you're missing out on? Maybe the good reasons that God calls you to pray is because He's present in prayer, that He's with His people in prayer, that He's not just passing on information like God's just this giant magical 411 guy or Google that gives you information when you need it, but He actually is is personal. He wants to connect and be involved in your life and deepen your relationship and connection with Him and involve you in the work that He's doing in the world. The response that should come and flow out of God's presence with us is our growing understanding of our need for Him and our expressing our dependence with Him and dependent communication should shape and transform and affect our hearts as His people as we engage in this world. It's a privilege to pray. Too many times, for me, maybe it's like you, it's a struggle. It's not something I want to do. I don't know what to say. It's boring. I have other things to do. But if we see it as the opportunity to converse and connect with the God who created all things, who desperately loves you, who has given his son for you, man, it no longer looks like a chore or a check in the box that I need to, to put off. It's not, I have to pray, but I get to. See, a mark of being a part of God's family and something that we're going to have to learn is this practice of dependent communication, of relying and connecting with our God. And the Scriptures should motivate us. And God's sovereignty should not be an excuse for inaction. It's never that way in the scriptures. It should move us more to pray to a God who works and who is with His people. But hold on, with His people. Uh, I mean, I know that he that he said that to Jacob. Remember, this is what he said just before this passage uh, in verse uh, or in chapter twenty-eight. He he said uh, this to Jacob as he he entered in and met with him. He said, um, uh, in verse 15 of chapter 28. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Part of that promise was that he was going to bless him. That he might be a blessing. But think about it from Jacob's perspective here. As we look at what's what's happened. What happens as a result of Jacob, so far, being in Haran, he does meet Rachel. He gets connected with Laban. And through this process, Laban actually greatly mistreats Jacob. Jacob. Laban ends up mistreating a lot of people, Rachel and Leah included, and we'll look at that more next week. But what ends up happening here is he engages and encounters Laban. Jacob is manipulated and taken advantage of in this situation, um, and it leads to actually seven seven. Uh, Another three or four years, over 20 years of Jacob experiencing hardship and difficulty in this relationship and and circumstances that he has, this relationship with Laban. How is that God being with him? You're with me, God. You are going to keep me and protect me. Where were you? I know I might not have talked to you, but you're the one who said you were going to be with me. Why then am I experiencing this now? Why am I in this relationship with this guy who continues to take advantage and deceive me over and over and over again? We're going to see it. I thought you said you were going to bless me. This is blessing? This hard trial? This difficult circumstance? This is a stinking joke. What kind of God are you? If this is you being with me, Maybe I don't want you to be with me at all, because so far it just looked like more hardship and difficulty for me. Is that what is going on here? Is God absent from Jacob? His name's not mentioned, but some things seem to to come out here. Um, If you... Notice what happens in this scenario, this whole deception. Uh, just generally, as we look over what, uh, what goes on from, uh, uh, from verses uh, 21 and, and following, uh, this is generally what occurs. So under the cloak of darkness, where it's difficult for people to see, um, Laban passes off the older daughter, as if she's the younger one, to Jacob. She probably has a veil on, so she's disguised a little bit, so they're unable to see. And so Jacob, expecting to enter into a blessed relationship with the younger daughter, actually is deceived and winds up with the elder, Leah. Sound similar? Remember what Jacob's just done a couple chapters before. Jacob, under the, the cloud of darkness of Isaac's blindness, who can't see, Jacob the younger tries to pass himself off as the older brother. Isaac, thinking that he's blessing the older, actually ends up blessing the younger. As Jacob disguises himself with the hair and from the goat and the smell to try to deceive Isaac. Here, the same thing's happening to Jacob. The deceiver now gets deceived. One way we could think of it is well, he's got what's come to him karma. What goes around comes around. Fate is happening and finally coming back and it's biting Jacob. He deserves this. I mean, we could think that because, again, remember, God's not mentioned in here at all in chapter 29. But this isn't fate. This isn't karma. It's not impersonal law that's happening here. Remember what we've seen throughout this whole book of Genesis so far. The creator of all things, God, is sovereignly working out His plan. We've talked about this and actually uh, uh, affirmed our faith by previously, that God's providence is His uh, active governing of all of His creatures and all of their actions. Everything that's going on, God is involved, even if we might not perceive and see Him there. But He's behind the scenes. So that means that here, What's going on is is not just impersonal fate kind of stuff happening, but God is at work working out this situation and this scenario so that the deceiver being deceived is a part of God's work and his plan in Jacob's life. Maybe that doesn't clear it up for us at all because that still seems kind of heartless. That means instead of God not being with Jacob and it just happening, now we're saying what? God was involved in this? You are a part of this happening? What kind of father are you? What kind of love is there in that? That you'd bring this hardship and difficulty in my life? thinking back to, to, to Dan and Carol and Katya, uh, so Katya was not here for Thanksgiving. Katya will not be here for Christmas. Now, some might say, how heartless, how, how cold. Do you, not, do you not love her? Why is she not with you? What kind of love is there in that? Have you not rejected her, uh, Dan and Carol? Explain a little bit. What what's going on? Why is she Why is she a- away right now?
1: Uh, she suffers from something called a reactive attachment disorder, where she has uh, been suffered a mortal wound uh, from her birth mom, and so um, she has rejected. Her mom, Carol, and she um, has not healed from that wound yet and and the easiest thing to do would be to bring her home It'd be easiest for her easiest for us, but it's kind of like she has to heal and that healing is going to require some pain of, of separation in order for her to completely understand it it's just like healing from a, a knee replacement you, you have to go to physical therapy and it's not fun it hurts. And she has to go through that, and the, 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 the directors of the camp said that she is not ready and she'll actually suffer more by bringing her home than she's supposed to stay there so that she understands what it's like to, if she doesn't want a family with, her, with mom in it, then she, she's not allowed to have a family at all until she understands that.
0: So if Katia were to say, why would you do such a, a hurtful, painful thing to me? What would your response be?
1: At this point, that's exactly what you need. That's what she needs. And I say, honey, you're you're not ready to come home yet. But we want you home. We want you home badly. But we have to have you come home healed. You can't come home not halfway. You can't you can't come home unhealed because you you won't get better.
0: Hmm. So. Sometimes, in a family, and in a loving family, parents bring difficult things into the lives of their children for their best interest. Because they love them. Kathy is going through therapy at this camp, and what's best for her to achieve and find healing is to be able to process and work through these things there. And for her to be brought back home for the holiday time would actually set her back because of the things that she's working through. The discipline and care of parents sometimes involves their children going through hard and difficult things. Because you love them, you engage in these hard and difficult things with them and put them in those situations. In fact, if you didn't love them, you would seek to make it as easy as you as you could. Uh, The the author of, of Hebrews describing and talking about God and his presence in the, live, the lives of his people, he describes the relationship of what it's like to be a part of God's family. And he talks about discipline. Listen to, listen to what, he, what he says. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is from Hebrews 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The deceiver is now being deceived. He's experiencing the hardship and the pain and difficulty that come from what happens when you, in lies and deceit and manipulation, seek to take advantage of other people. Now Jacob is experiencing the hard and difficult pain of what happens when you interact with people around you like that. He's suffering. Even did you see how he he cried out uh, to? Uh, To Laban in verse 25, What is this that you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Jacob's beginning to realize the effect that his sin, that others' sin has on him. And hopefully what he will begin to see is the effect his sin has on other people. You see, God in his mercy and his love is disciplining Jacob here. See, this is another aspect of life within God's family is experiencing his fatherly love and discipline. The only difference that we see here in this whole section between Jacob and Esau is God's persevering, pursuing fatherly love and care for Jacob. God has said to Jacob, I am with you. And what it looks like for me to be with you, and what it looks like for me to bless you, is for me to discipline you, for me to begin to shape your heart and realize and and for you to see the effect your sin has, so that you might repent, so that you might be restored, so that you might heal. You see, Jacob might be tempted to say, Where's the blessing? What the author of Hebrews is telling us is that discipline is blessing. It's only illegitimate children that receive no discipline. The loved, and the ones that are loved and delighted and cared for, experience the blessing of God's disciplinary care in their lives. Now, for some of you, this may trigger things. Maybe we all have some sort of attachment disorder when it comes to relating to our Heavenly Father. But this is what we need to understand. His character. The only way you can trust and see His discipline as good is if you remember and are reminded the fact that He's good. That He's good. That He's faithful. That He's perfect. That He loves you. What you're going through and what you're facing is in the context of a relationship with a heavenly father who desperately loves you. How do you know? How can I know that he loves me? Because right now all I'm experiencing is a bunch of junk. Remember what he's been promising the whole way through Genesis. I'm sending one who's going to come. I'm sending one who's going to come and who's going to break the effects of sin and crush and defeat the evil one and lead my people to restoration and healing and deliver you from and rescue you from your sin. We know how much God loves us and His faithfulness to His people because He sent His only Son to redeem and save you. Jesus, the beloved Son Set all of that aside so that he could be rejected in order that you and me, sinners, could be welcomed and accepted into God's family. And now what we experience is God's loving care. Now, is every hardship and difficulty that you go through is God's discipline and you need to be like, oh, man, why did I sin now? What happened? Why is my kid sick? God must be disciplined me. I must have sinned. Why am I sick? Oh, why is this happening? Why did I lose my job? Why am I having this relational difficulty? Why did this happen? No, not, not everything that happens. Is that a good question to ask? Should we look and delight and, and, and see as a good thing God's discipline and look for it as an opportunity to say, God, how would you, what are you trying to teach me? Are you exposing me? How are you wanting to make me more like you? Yeah, but we also need to remember the context of the world we live in. We're in a fallen world. Sometimes the the things that we experience are due to others' sin. Leah is one example. Man, how was she mistreated by her father? It's almost like he treated her like she was one of his livestock rather than one of his daughters. He didn't love or care for her. We'll see God's care for Leah. Don't. Let's not forget her. We'll see next week. God demonstrates incredible mercy and compassion to her. But sometimes we suffer from other people's sin, and that's just injustice. It's not God punishing you. Other times things happen just because we live in a broken world. But there are times where God does discipline and care for his people. And the response for us should be, as we learn to live life in this adopted family, is like... The servant, thankfulness, worship, praise, gratitude, trusting our God that in the midst of our sin, he would care enough to break into your world and mine and make you miserable with the rebellious decisions you and I make. Because he loves you, because he loves you. Welcome back, guys. Our Heavenly Father loves us. And just as these little ones return, and we as parents delight for them to come back and join with us, the delight of our Heavenly Father is for His children. And He engages and He relates to you in fatherly love and care and discipline. It's the gospel that's going to shape and transform us as we adjust to life in this family. Dependent communication. Understanding and grateful for the disciplinary fatherly care of our Heavenly Father. Uh, That is the good news. It's a blessing to be in His family.